May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let me just add my greeting to Adam's. Um, I'm Tom, I'm the vicar here. It's lovely to see you this morning. And uh, of course, we'll have our annual parochial church meeting after the service. So this I aim to be the 15-minute wonder sermon. Wonder, not necessarily because of the quality, but because of the comparatively short length compared to how long I usually preach for. Let's see how we get on. Of course, today is Palm Sunday, the day we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. We're actually slightly further ahead in the story um, as we follow it in Luke's Gospel um, than the day um, would suggest. We are actually right up in the night where Jesus was um, betrayed and, uh, and tried, um, and we're on the denials of Peter, um, but aware, to, of course, today is Palm Sunday um, as Jesus came into Jerusalem as king. Now, do you want to learn life's most important lessons in the easiest way? I assume that we all do. If that's the case, then it's best to learn through the mistakes of others. And uh, that's why we need to meet Peter. We need to learn from Peter. Peter said that he would die with Jesus. But then when he was asked if he even knew Jesus, he denied it three times. And by the way, if we want to learn how to stand firm in our faith, again, we need to pay attention to Peter. Because Peter shows us how to get up from being flat on the floor, back onto our feet again. And perhaps you, I don't know, perhaps you feel flat on the floor today. You feel like you've fallen flat on your face, flat on the deck. Uh, pay attention to Peter. That's what we need to do this morning. And there are two questions that we're going to answer. First is this, how did Peter fall? How did he fall? Let's read verses 54 to 57 there in Luke chapter 2, verses 54 to 57. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this, is the, this, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. So Peter was the leader of Jesus' disciples. He used to be called Simon, but Jesus gave him the name Peter, which you may know means rock, rock man. He was supposed to be the strong rock-like leader. But it didn't take much to turn this rock into a jelly. Only the comment from a servant girl, this man was with Jesus. And then the rock turns into a jelly. He denies knowing the man he'd loved and served for the past three years. How did it happen? How did the rock turn into the jelly? Well, the truth is that, Jesus, uh, that Peter had begun to crumble hours earlier. It didn't just happen like this in that moment. It had begun to happen hours earlier. Let's think about the mistakes that led to the fall. We can trace a sequence. It happens in lots of stages. Most falls do. Stage one, pride. Because earlier in the evening, Jesus had told Peter that he would turn away at the critical moment. But Peter thought he knew better and he had said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and to death. You see, Peter thinks he's got the strength to cope. I can handle myself, he thinks. I don't need to trust in Jesus. So that's step one, pride. Step two, 
prayerlessness. He doesn't pray. Because later that night, Jesus took the disciples to the Mount of Olives and he told them, he said, pray that you don't fall into temptation. But they didn't pray. They did fall asleep and they did fall into temptation. Why do we pray? We pray because we know we have to depend on God. So when we don't pray, what we're saying is that we don't need to depend on God and that we're not dependent on him. And so the disciples didn't pray. And then when Jesus' enemies arrived to arrest him, the disciples lost their nerve and fled. Well, almost all of them fled. Step one, pride. Step two, prayerlessness. Step three, let's call it misguided heroism. Misguided heroism. Peter wanted to be the hero because in fairness to him, he did put up a bit of resistance. And only the problem was, it was resistance Jesus had told him not to make. So earlier, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, we read, read, read the bit where Peter, the disciples were going, look, we've got two swords here, as if they were going to rescue Jesus from being arrested. And Jesus had said, that's enough, put them away. I don't, we don't need any swords, I'm going. I'm going, I'm yielding myself to death. Well, Peter should have taken the instruction then to shut up about the swords, put the sword away, and let this all happen. But he doesn't. As soon as the arrest party comes, Peter, in misguided heroism, takes out his sword and strikes the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Jesus has to tell him off. No, Peter, put your sword away. See, misguided heroism. Well, the problem is for Peter is that now he's caught in no man's land. So he doesn't flee completely, and yet he doesn't stay particularly close to Jesus either. Verse 54 in our reading today that Sarah just read says, he followed Jesus, see the words there, at a distance. He followed Jesus at a distance. So step one, pride. Step two, prayerlessness. Step three, misguided heroism. Step four is isolation. Because he gets isolated from his friends and from Jesus. He's isolated from his friends. And more dangerous still, he's actually sitting among Jesus' enemies. The text's very clear about this. Luke picks it up. He's sitting among the high priest's servants, warming himself by their fire. And that leads to a fifth step. Let's call, that, let's call it concealment. Concealment. He tries to blend in just like we may be tempted to do in certain situations, just blend in, don't want to be known as a Christian. You know, it's always much, it's much easier to stand for Christ later when you've been clear about your commitment to him from the start. Not blurting it out, not saying, do you know I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I go to church. Not, not, that's not, not an in-your-face way, but just putting out a marker. that I'm a Christian, I follow Christ. I always used to say to university students when I used to work with um, them a lot, to say, you get that Bible on by your bed visible in your halls of residence as soon as you can. So just a quiet statement to say, I am a Christian. It's not a big deal. I am a... Because if you put... If you, if you nail your colours to the mast earlier, it makes it much easier to stand later. Concealment is a very, very dangerous business. And so Peter... Um, he really, he, he's hidden his commitment and as a result of all these things, his strength has just drained away. And all it took 
to knock over the rock man was a comment from a servant girl. And then more accusations follow. Peter denies knowing Jesus again and again. Fear overwhelms him because pride, prayerlessness, misguided heroism, isolation, concealment, it's all drained away his strength. So you can learn a lot from Peter, can't we? Learn to try to avoid his mistakes, to recognize our weaknesses and to trust in God to strengthen us. We need to pray continually, unlike Peter, for victory over temptation. Don't get isolated. That's another lesson for us. We need to stay in regular contact with other believers for our encouragement, which is quite a good thing to emphasize today on the day of our annual parochial church meeting when we think formally about our life as a body. We need to stay together as God's people to encourage each other to keep going. And also we mustn't hide our commitment to Christ to blend in. No, we've got to boldly, appropriately, yes, but we've got to boldly keep our faith out there in the open. So why did Peter fall? How did the rock become a jelly? Through a series of downward steps, which we, by God's grace, can learn to avoid. Okay, so how did Peter fall? We've answered that. How did Peter get up again? That's the second thing we need to think about. How did, how did Peter get up again? How could the jelly become the rock? Well, just earlier that evening again, Jesus had said to Peter, he said, before the cock crows, you will deny, me, deny three times that you know me. It happened, didn't it? The cock crows. Jesus, who's somewhere else in the high priest's building, turns around and looks at Peter. It's not a, I told you so, moment. It's a, oh, terribly painful moment. And Peter sees Jesus looking at him and he goes out and weeps bitterly. Why does he cry? Well, he's been crying, he cried because he loved Jesus. He's like, how could I do that? And, but of course, now he feels ashamed and guilty, embarrassed, humiliated, and so on. Imagine the pain of those tears. Do you think in that moment, I've often thought about this, do you think, I think he would have done anything at that moment to have been on trial with Jesus facing crucifixion? Do you think the nails would have been less painful than the tears? I don't know. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? Oh, to have been right with Jesus in that moment. Peter would have felt it, I'm sure. I'm sure he would have taken the nails. If only he could have been standing with Jesus. Nothing's more precious than that. Nothing worse than sinning against him. Peter was learning a lesson in this moment. Because actually, there's more, there's more comfort in suffering for doing the right thing than for keeping your comfort, comfort but losing your integrity. It's a really important principle. Now, the thing is that when we do the wrong thing, like Peter had done here, we can feel trapped because the point is we can't undo it. We go over it again and again in our minds, and there's nothing I can do to undo that. And so there are various human responses to that. One is um, to try and escape. We just try and escape it somehow. And we escape it in different ways, so we excuse what we did, so it wasn't really that a big deal. Or we try to drown it out by distracting ourselves. Or we try and work it off by being as nice and as good as possible. But you can't escape. We can't escape the things we've done. Peter can't escape this. 
This has happened. This is on his record. This is in his, this is his life now. He's done it. But there is a way out. There is a way out. Jesus had said to Peter earlier that night, he said, he said, um, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Peter thinks, Jesus knew all about this. He knew about my fall. And he's promised that I will get up again because he's told me to go and strengthen my brothers. And that word of Jesus shines like a light in a very dark place. The promise of Jesus saying, Peter, you will rise. Peter, you will come back. Peter, you will still be the rock for me. And not only did he have the word of Jesus, he also had the prayer of Jesus. Jesus has said, I've prayed for you, Peter. And so in that moment when Peter feels like he's in free fall, actually he isn't. Because God is holding him through the prayer that Jesus has prayed. God is holding him. And as a result, he somehow clings to God. How did Peter get back on track? Well, despite the shame and the guilt that he felt, he stuck with it. It can't have been an easy weekend for Peter. That first Easter Sunday, he was one of the first to the empty tomb the day Jesus was raised. He stuck with it. He went. And he was there at all the gatherings. He must have felt rather awkward. Well, very awkward. But he stuck at it. He kept going. And then at that breakfast barbecue a few weeks later that we read about in John's Gospel, the last chapter, uh, Jesus brings up there on the beach the denials, the three denials. He asks Jesus, this, he, uh, Jesus asks Peter, the failed follower, he asks him three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says yes. It's as though Jesus is refilling with good, solid foundations the, um, the, the obliterated, bombed out uh, ruins that had come about because of the denials. Jesus is filling them in one by one. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. And so Peter is then given back the job of leading the disciples. The jelly again becomes the rock. So how did Peter fall? We looked at that. Pride, prayerlessness, misguided heroism, isolation, concealment. How did Peter get up again? He stuck with it. The word of Jesus. The prayer of Jesus. And so he clung and he trusted the forgiving, the encouraging, the loving words of Jesus. And in fact, he trusted all that Jesus had done on the cross. Jesus died as a ransom to pay the price for exactly the sort of muck-up that Peter had just committed. He died to pay for that so that Peter and us and other failures can be made to stand and jellies can be turned to rocks. So we need to stand firm. We've got to trust the Lord's strength and not our own. Listen to his word, not believe our own. The thing is, we all fall, all of us, whether that's big spectacular falls or whether it's just the lesser everyday falls. You flat on your face in the mud? 
let Peter lift you up. Don't look to your own strength. We often think the answer is going to be found inside us. When things go wrong, we think, if only I analyze myself deeply enough, if only I reflect on myself profoundly enough, if only I understand myself well enough, then I can move forward. And it's good to understand yourself, it's good to reflect, but that's not where the power is. That's not where the transformation is. The transformation is when you look out of yourself to Jesus and you trust in him and he gives the power. So we need to come to his word and believe it. We need to rely on him, the one who lives to pray for us in the presence of God the Father. And we need to remember the words of reassurance. Let me just read you some of those words, just in case you are flat on your face, thinking, I don't know how to get up again. Listen to what God says to you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, he says. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And then later, listen to what Peter wrote. Peter wrote these words in his first letter. He wrote, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So let those words restore you. Let them restore us. If there's a way back for Peter, there's a way back from us. The tears, sometimes there are, sometimes there should be. Soul searching, of course. But by Jesus' word, by Jesus' intercession for us in heavenly places, we, all of us, have a future. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for including this story of Peter in the Bible. Thank you for all it teaches us, both warning but also deep encouragement. We pray that you would lift us up today and that we, standing firm by faith, would know your power and would find you lifting us up to live for you. Keep us faithful by the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.